New coaches? No problem. The Rangers absolutely clobbered the Flyers Wednesday night, taking a shutout win by nine or more goals for the first time since 1986 and setting a single period season high with seven goals, which was one shy of a franchise record. The Post's Larry Brooks joins the show to discuss why the organization should be looking ahead. And former Rangers winger and notable agitator, Matthew Barnaby will be our special guest of the week. All that and more is next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats. What's that sound? The Rangers just scored another goal. Our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. But make sure you give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. The legend Larry Brooks will join us in his weekly spot. We're also joined by former Ranger Matthew Barnaby. But here they are, your stars of the show, the former shooting guard out of a New Jersey basketball high school. It's Molly Walker of the New York Post and her co-host, former Rangers great number 10, Ron Duguay. Hi, everyone. And yes, it's so exciting the day after the Rangers win. And boy, did they win last night. They won big. And we're going to get into the details on how they won, why they won, what happened. But first, I want to talk about my guest today, Matthew Barnaby. You know Matthew Barnaby played three seasons with the New York Rangers. What a character. I want to talk to him about what it was like to be a New York Ranger. Plus, what's in the news? The Buffalo Sabres. He's all about the Buffalo Sabres. Much to talk about there. But really, Molly Walker is on right now, my co-host. Molly, let's talk about we're going into this game. We didn't know what to expect. Because there are not going to be any coaches inside. So what the heck happened with this COVID thing? Yeah. So, you know, two and a half hours before game time, I had an email pop into my inbox. It said there was a statement from the Rangers. And here I am thinking I'm in the building. I drove all the way here and the game is about to be canceled. The Rangers the other day before they had Adam Fox and Pavel Buchnevich go on the COVID protocol list, they also postponed their morning availability with David Quinn. So here I am thinking there's more positive tests on the team. They're not going to have a team to play. But no, it's the entire coaching staff is in COVID protocol. No David Quinn, no Jock Martin. None of those guys were going to be there. They were all in COVID protocol. And Chris Nabalok, Gord Murphy, and Chris Jury were behind the bench. Now, Nabalok and Murphy were actually coaching in the NHL for the first time since they were fired by, coincidentally, the Flyers in 2018-19. Murphy actually joined the Rangers to fill in as an assistant during the 2019-20 bubble playoffs when Lindy Ruff went to the Rangers. But yeah, super, super unexpected. Didn't really know what to make of it. Just had to start writing immediately. It was just quite the whirlwind. I think the most interesting part about this entire COVID-19 situation is the fact that Adam Fox and Pavel Buchnevich were put on the COVID-19 protocol list on Monday, but they were back in the lineup on Wednesday. Presumably, that means there was a false positive, but... Then the Rangers go out and lose Monday in overtime, 5-4. to four, And it's a total possibility that Fox and Pavel Buchnevich could have been the difference maker, but they had to be taken out. So did Buchnevich, was he pleased about this? Did he have anything to say about this 
after the game last night. Pavel Buchnevich was not a happy camper. He tried very, very hard to stay level-headed and to not show his displeasure with, with the decision-making regarding his getting put on the COVID-19 protocol list. But he just was like, I don't even know what happened there. He was like, I have the antibodies. He was just so confused, which I don't blame him. And it's a super, I can't even imagine how frustrating it must be to be an NHL player and to get pulled from the lineup so unexpectedly for something, obviously it's something serious, but if he knows he has the antibodies and he just doesn't feel like he's been out, maybe, you know, we don't know his life. We don't know what he's been doing, but let's just say he's been, you know, staying at home all this time. And he knows that there's no way that he could have gotten it. And he's still getting pulled out of the lineup because there was a faulty test. It's frustrating. So it was really, it was written all over his face. And a 9 nothing shutout win. Molly Walker's eating hot dogs, eating her soft pretzels, her Diet Coke, and nobody saw it coming. The garden is going wild, but one man in particular put on a show, Molly. I mean, Zabinajad just exploded for three goals and three assists in the team's seven-goal manhandling in the second period against the Flyers, which tied Brian Trottier's NHL record for points in a single period established on December 23rd, 1970. 78. And Ron, didn't you say you were in that game? Yes, and I remember it very well. Just look at the date. It's December 23, <laughs> just before Christmas. We're all packed, ready to go home. And uh, we might have been partying hard that week. And now we got the Islanders with their serious game face coming to the garden and always wanting to make us look bad. And Brian <laughs> being Brian and playing with Bossy and Gillies. Well, he had the period of his life, six points. And we're like, oh, my God, let's just end this game now. Well, <laughs> guys, Brian being Brian, speaking of Brian Trottier, would you look at this? I think we have a surprise guest on the line. Is that Brian Trottier on the hotline of Up in the Blue Seats right now? Hey, good morning, Molly. Good morning, Ron. There he is. Look at this. We're, we're reminiscing, and he's on the line with us now. Brian, would love to uh, hear your experience of, of that game in uh, 1978. Oh, my God. It was just uh... – Riding the wave of good fortune. I mean, just things were happening, and you just kind of like, uh, obviously, Ron, the Ranger Islander rivalry brought up the best of both teams, and we had some high scoring games. We were on the short side of the scoreboard a few times. But there were some great goaltender uh, battles. There was, uh, you know, power play this and shorthanded goals that. And, you know, Ron was doing his thing, and I, I, I it, we had a lot of great memories with the Rangers, but, uh, that was a unique night. I think there was, I think it ended up with eight points overall. But I remember the third period, the guys came out. And I remember Dave Maloney coming up to me. He goes, if you get another point, we're in. Um, you know, one of those nights where you just kind of look back and you say to yourself, you know, that was uh, – I was the uh, recipient of some good fortune because passing the puck to bossing you, scoring, and run, going to the net to tip off my stick. And I'm like, holy cow, go figure. But – um, you know, when it happened, when it happened, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but when it happened against the Rangers, I was like just smiling from ear to ear inside because I didn't want to, you don't want to like uh, rub salt in the wound. And, and we didn't, did we, Ron? Because it was really kind of a fun rivalry in the sense that there was intensity and there was like, uh, uh, you know, you, but it brought the best out of both teams. The fans were the recipients. And uh, that night, it was my night. And I say to myself, thanks, guys, for for uh, for all the, the, the good fortune. and. Uh, the Rangers were just uh, on the short end of the stick, but it, I think it was still a, a wonderful game. I don't think we, we, I think the game ended up being like something like nine four or something like that. It was, uh, 
it wasn't like we hammered you guys nine nothing, but it was uh, it was it was one of those games. Just the puck was finding finding the net. Yeah, it was definitely entertainment value for the fans on both sides. And uh, I, like I mentioned before, if you play the Rangers around any holiday, there's a good chance we're out partying. And 23 is just before Christmas. I think most of us had our bags packed, and you guys show up all serious like had to make us look bad. So, anyways, but Brian, I have to ask you. I've never asked you this before. Playing with Bossy and Gillies, when you're managing the puck coming up the ice, are you naturally looking for Bossy or Gillies, or did it make a difference with you? Did you play with those guys differently where Gillies, oh, I'm just going to dump it in this corny corner where Bossy, I'm going to feed him the puck? Well, that that's a great question, Rob, but I don't think you guys were partying. I think we caught you guys just like uh, like we, we were just – we just had the good fortune. Of, and, you know, puck luck sometimes follows you some nights, but – when we were coming in with our game face anyway, and you guys like had everything going your way, dang it, you know, it's just it's, that's hockey and that's sports in, in general. But when you're playing with guys like Clark, and you know he's a big man, big man presence, and you know he wants the puck and he makes himself available, and you have Bossy on the other side, pure snipers, you know, it really makes it fun to have that dynamic with three guys that all want the puck, they all make themselves available. And when you're throwing it into Clark's corner, obviously there's an intimidation factor. And when you're throwing it over to the right side to Mike, he's coming down. And in our era, you know, that slap shot off the wing was potentially a goal. So he made it fun and he made it exciting. And Clark made it exciting. You know, the big, the big burly left winger, the power forward of his generation. I mean, I lucked out. I had, I had two great players, two Hall of Famers. But Clark was the big brother on our line. You know, don't touch these guys because I might have to beat the hell out of you. But it really made it fun because, you know, we could do our thing. And, you know, the three of us had a little magic. Is, and that always helps. And uh, But I think when you have an appreciation factor like we all did for each other, I think it makes it really fun. Well, Brian, thank you for uh, taking a trip down memory lane with us. This was fun. I mean, your your record is is not broken. I guess you're still in the uh, you're tied, so you're good for something up there with uh, with Mika. So uh, thanks for coming on, friend of the program now, Brian Trottier. Pleasure, guys. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Ron. Talk to you later. Joining us next is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks, and he is now our double vaccinated Hall of Famer. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Larry, I wanted to jump right to your column in Thursday's paper about why this season is all about next season for the Rangers now, even after Wednesday's thrashing of the Flyers, which was unlike any game I've ever seen truly. But could you just tell the listeners why their sights should be on next year? Well, I think I think the growth in this team has to has to manifest itself in the players who are going to be here when when this finally turns. And you know, before last night, it looked like uh, the turnaround was years away. After last night, it looks like the turnaround is days away. So I understand that you know there there are short term and uh, there there short term events happen, but. They shouldn't affect the course of the franchise. And, and this team's future depends on accelerated progress from Alexi Lafreniere, Capocco, Philip Heedle, Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, the young guys. We talk about the young guys all the time. It has reached the point where the young guys need to be placed in situations 
where they're given a little bit more responsibility. I'm not criticizing David Quinn for the way he's handled the team because I, I do think players need to earn their ice time. I do think it's important, essential for young players to learn and to learn how to play without the puck and to be strong in the defensive zone. However, I also think that you need to give these players opportunities to shine on the power play and they don't get that. And I think you have to place these players in positions in which they're a little bit more comfortable and give them their lead. And a playoff push for the Rangers is fine if it is initiated by the players who are going to be here in two, three, and four years. Trying to make a playoff push by going with players who may not be here next and doesn't make any sense to me. That topic of earning playing time kind of segues into my next question. I was curious to hear your take on Julian Gauthier. I wrote an article the other day basically with the phrase, the curious case of Julian Gauthier in the back of my mind. He's a big, tough kid and has shown a couple of flashes of pretty solid play, but then there are also some not so great instances and those have landed him as a healthy scratch eight times after Wednesday's win. So I was just curious to hear, you know, your assessment of Julian. The other night, actually, as I, as I wrote, when, when he scored the goal, he scores on a power move to the net uh, with a really talented move. Uh, um, you think you're ever be scratched. And same game, he takes three different penalties. He goes to the box three different times serving actually four different minors. He got a double minor for a high sticking that drew blood. And he's in the box for two goals against. And you watch and you say, how could this guy ever play? And so I think that was a microcosm of, of Julian Gauthier. Larry, that's the exact word that I used. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I, I have to tell you that I was disappointed to see him being scratched for last night's game because like like there's an instance you know that he knows that these are undisciplined penalties and they can't go on but why not allow him to build off the goal that he scored instead of sitting him down because of the penalties and i get i get kevin rooney has been a more dependable player this year for them and this goes back to the, the, you know, the previous discussion. Does more things, more reliable. There's no question about that. Same thing is true with with Colin Blackwell. Obviously, a good pickup, an important. You know, he's been a valuable player, but to play them ahead of Gauthier, just don't see it. I would like, I would much rather see Julian Gauthier get a run of eight or ten games, even let him play on the power play, you know, for a minute. And see what he can do, and 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 I get the pull of this. I do, and I'm behind the bench. Although I I'm, I'm surprised, you know, with the opportunity last night, they didn't ask me to, to coach. <laughs> but uh, you know, again, I, there's the carrot, and, and there's you know, there's a lot of dynamics to go into this. But I would I would like to see Julian Gauthier get a ten game run where he just plays, or maybe it's a six game run. You know, if he's not worthy of it after. But I'd like to see him play, and I'd like to see him. Uh, I'd like to see him be put in a position to succeed, and maybe maybe pick up a cookie or two on the power play. Yeah, Larry, I just want to add on on Gautier. Um, when I watched him from the beginning until now, the one thing that, uh, and this is just a comment on my side, because I want to ask you about Strom with Gautier. I just felt like if he got, because he's a big, strong kid. I don't know how tough he is. 
but he's a big, strong kid that's capable of being a little more physically involved, um, you know, because we see the skill in him, but get more involved. And I think that was part of the reason why he was in and out of the lineup. And so recently we start to see him finish his checks uh, and just get play with a little more of an edge. We're seeing that. And I'm agreeing with you. Now he looks like he gets it. Give him that ice time. But the guy that I want to talk about that we've talked about in the past is Ryan Strom. Uh, you know, you look at a guy who is a high draft pick, and obviously he comes to the NHL, big expectations. Really hadn't seen it in the past, but now I think he's coming in on his own. Would you agree? I agree. I think Ryan Strom has had a very good season for them. In some ways, a better year than last year when his numbers were better because he and Panarin were just lighting it up on essentially every shift. But Ryan Strom is, is a perfect example of where the Rangers are. Rangers are a better team with Ryan Strom as their second-line center right now than anybody else. There's no doubt about that. Ryan Strom's had a good year, you know, and he's matured into a very good NHL player. He has some deficiencies, but don't we all? And yet, the chances of Ryan Strom being a Ranger after his contract expires at the end of next year are pretty slim, I would, I would say. And the Rangers might even be able to move Ryan Strom at this year's trade deadline for pretty good assets in return if they want to go that way because he's established himself, I think. And so Strom makes them better now, no question about it, but is he going to make them better next year? Is he going to make them better in two years and in three years? And so I would suggest that the Rangers need to give Heedle the time that Strom is getting. You know, I, I, I and the, these are not easy uh, decisions to make. You don't want to throw away a, a run at the playoffs because there's some value in making the playoffs. There's real value in making the playoffs. But Brian Strom has become a pretty good player. And what, I, what I've liked about Strom this year as opposed to last year is his game in the defensive zone and his play without the puck. I think he's been a much better player this year without the puck in the defensive zone. We've seen fewer lapses in coverage, and we've seen fewer of the careless penalties he took last year. I think that was that really was the black mark on him last year, the number of, of careless penalties he would take, um, many of them in the offensive zone. This year, he's really cut that down. So I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Larry, we can't let you go without asking you about last night. Um, there is a high level of excitement this morning after the Rangers did what they did, especially against Philadelphia. This game was so unexpected to see what we saw. Coaches aren't there. They hadn't really played great uh, the last game. And now all of a sudden, there's this explosion of scoring all these goals. How do you explain this game? Because I know you've seen a lot of hockey, and there's no way you thought you are going to see this last night. No, I, I, you know, it's funny, too, because I was at the game, you know, in my in my blue seat when they beat California 12 to one. And and they scored eight goals in the third period that night. I, I remember Joe Malash was playing for the Golden Seals and he was and he was driven to the bench in tears with the onslaught. And I think last night, probably Elaine Vigneault, uh was was the one on the bench in tears. Uh, it, it was a combination of, of just uh, a dynamic performance by the Rangers and an utterly uh, embarrassing you know, performance by the Flyers. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just stopped playing. Uh, Philadelphia and the Rangers just rolled it up. And uh, listen, it, it is a night that should do wonders for Mika Zibanejad. And when Zibanejad is going, the Rangers are a different team. And, and actually, a point I make in, in the column I wrote for today, too, is that, you know, if Zibanejad and Panarin, who, by the way, has come back at peak efficiency. I mean, you know, you watch Artemi Panarin the last few games and you're reminded 
um, about his influence last year. And you're just reminded he is one of the top three, five players in the league. There's, I mean, that's just who he is. And if, if the Rangers can get Panarin and Zibanejad both going at peak efficiency, they're a different team. There's no question about it. I mean, and, and, and they have the ability to lift the Rangers because they, when you have two elite talents playing at peak performance, they make everybody on the team better. They, you know, so um, I thought last night was a fun night for them. It was, you know, they, they, it, it's been a slog through the season even the nights where they play well they're coming off bad games and then they they're not able to sustain it so it's it's been an up and down year um i don't think it's been i don't think it's been particularly enjoyable for too many of the players I, you know it's, it's tough anyway with with um trying to play through this pandemic it's tough on everyone but last night <laughs> last night was a was a welcome oasis in what's in, in what's been a difficult first half and ended a difficult first half actually um for Zibanejad, if if this gives him the, the level of confidence that he needs, then uh, it will be a turning point for, for him and maybe the team as well. Artemi Panarin, $11.6 million a year and severely underpaid. <laughs> well, Larry, I hope you get some rest as the second vaccine works its magic. And we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Molly. Our guest this week is a former Rangers forward of three seasons who is best known for his time in the penalty box. He played 18 seasons in the NHL with the Sabres, Penguins, Lightning, Avalanche, Blackhawks, Stars, as well as the Blue Shirts. 13 of his NHL seasons, he recorded over 100 penalty minutes. And in 1995-96 with the Sabres, he had a whopping 335. He's now a betting expert at Bet99 Sportsbook, but he always was considered to be one of the most willing interviewees in the game. And here he is again, willing to be interviewed. Please welcome Matthew Barnaby. Matthew, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, you must be out of breath naming all the teams I played for, so that's, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's quite the list. You know, getting right down to the kinds of players that you know best, Ryan Lindgren is the closest thing the Rangers have to an enforcer, but he really has improved his skating and overall defensive game this season in particular. I'm curious your thoughts on Lindgren and why it's so important for a team to have a hard-nosed player like him, even in this day and age of the NHL. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. I've known Ryan a long time. My my son's in 1998, same same birth year as, as Ryan. So I've watched him come up uh, through the development camps, through certain tournaments uh, over the years. And he's always been a hard-nosed player. Uh, obviously, at the younger ages, had more skill than, than a lot of the other guys. But uh, once we get to the NHL, we know uh, it's the best players in the world. But uh, it's, 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 it's real important. I, I think in today's day and age, you know, it was, you had to have it. It was a necessity uh, back in the era that, that Ron and I, I played in. You know, the intimidation was a huge part of the game in, in going into every single game in every single city. You know, that's changed. And, and for the better, I think we're, we're in an era now where, you know, the game's evolved. We've all evolved in, in all aspects of life. But, you know, you still need a guy to defend teammates. They're, the fighting is still allowed, uh, checking is still allowed, and bigger teams are going to take advantage of smaller and younger teams uh, along the way. So a guy like Ryan who can who can play valuable minutes as he gets older and older and, and learns the league even more, you know, you, you want a team to stand up for each other. And it starts, you know, like I, I'm more in, in, into a team toughness now 
rather than, than one guy. But you need that one guy to drag other guys into the fight. And I live in Ottawa. I watch Brady Kachuk every single night. And when things aren't going well for the team, it seems like Brady is the guy that brings them into the fight. Well, you know that Lingman is always going to be there. He's always going to work hard. And he's always going to defend his teammates. And I think that you know, gives you that uh, wolf pack mentality, per se, um, as a team and a young team that really is trying to evolve. We have a lot of a lot of our listeners are Ranger fans, and they like to go back in time. And I want to go back when you were a New York Ranger in the dressing room. You talk about leadership, and that's one thing that uh, in today's team, the Ranger team, a lot of people feel they don't have that character like you're talking about. What was it like for you to be in the same de- dressing room as Messier and Lindros? Pretty surreal, pretty awesome. I mean, Mess is probably one of the only guys I've ever got in my life. I've met a lot of celebrities that I was nervous to meet. You know, he's 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 just one of those guys that you look at, especially as a, a Canadian hockey player growing up. And I like I can't believe I'm in the same room with Mess. But amazing leader. Um, you know, vocal when he had to be. Didn't say words just to be raw, raw. But uh, certainly, you you wanted to be accountable to him. Now, there's different reasons why we didn't have sex when. Uh, success when I was in, in New York. It doesn't take away from the leadership we had in that room. And I'll add Eric to the, you know, one of the guys that changed the way the game was played for a big man. There's not a more dominant big man in hockey through, you know, the 90s than Eric. And you can add Brian Leach to that list. That's a quiet leader. Mike Richter for the short time that he was there while I was there. But certainly having Mess and, and, and the Big E uh, in that room was different. The, the, you know, we can look at that team and say, man, our payroll was $90 million. We didn't make the playoffs. I think part of the reason was we didn't have enough guys that adapted to the rules. I, I really think uh, to have a successful team and a championship team like they had in 94, guys have to really accept their role. And when you put an all-star team together, you have guys that are used to playing 24 minutes a night that are playing 17 and guys that are used to playing 17 and 8 playing 10, you know, it, it goes to their ego and, and they, they want more and they don't play the same kind of game that they're they're used to. But uh, I learned a lot from especially Mess, uh, you know, when I went to Colorado after and, you know, when I became a leader on, on other teams and I went to Dallas and I, I played there for a year. Um, you learn so much about the game and just the preparation uh, for as old as he was at the time when I played with him, uh, the preparation uh, was undeniable. I mean, he just wanted to be the best even though he was coming to the later stages of his career. I wanted to ask about your famous rival with Lyle Odeline. You once memorably referred to him as Cornelius, like the character in Planet of the Apes. Could you just take us back to how that feud started and I guess why you called him that? <laughs> yeah, the, the feud started right away. Like literally one of my first games in, in the NHL, he was playing with Montreal and I was with Buffalo and that was a big rivalry at the time. And uh, we were in the, the old uh, Montreal Forum and we had gotten in a fight. It was a five on five brawl and it kind of continued, you know, where our years that he was in New Jersey and I was in Buffalo, we had a, a great rivalry there. And it just seems like we just hated her. He had a face that I hated. We had a face that he hated. Uh, <laughs> he competed hard every single night and, um, it really came to blows. I'd say it reached its pinnacle when we were in the playoffs. He was in Jersey. They had a good team. We were in Pittsburgh. Uh, we had a very European team and we had gotten into it. I don't even remember who won or lost in that game. I believe we won, but well, that's neither here nor there. And I was asked a question about him and kind of to, to, to my thing was I wasn't afraid of him. He wasn't afraid of me, and he wasn't the best-looking dude, man. He, he's not a good-looking guy. So, um, you know, thank, thankfully, the New York Post to with it, and I said, 
he kind of looks like like an ape. He kind of looks like uh, Cornelius from Planet of the Apes. Well, <laughs> I didn't take on a life of its own until I, I read the um, papers the next day and you start preparing for the game. But we all had a good laugh. He, he got me back pretty good when he when he came back with me in the paper and said, you know, he should look at his wife. Uh, she's nothing to look at either. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> uh, hey, I'm divorced now. I, I tend to agree with him, but um, you know. <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> right, she, she's always stalking somewhere. Um, no, she only she only thinks on, on the first of the month. Um, but uh, she, I just remember going into the the old Meadowlands at, at the time for for warm up coming up the ice. And there were people in ape suits with uh, with Mrs. Barnaby across, and I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> and and you know, Matthew, this is the kind of stuff we miss in the game today. Guys like yourself were very noticeable on the ice because you provided entertainment value, and I'm sure you played up to that. And you started your career in Buffalo, and so that's why I want to kind of switch things here a little bit because Buffalo is in the news a lot. Eichel's in the news a lot. The Rangers have been talking about possibly getting Eichel. I'm sure you're paying attention to what's going on there because I know the ownership came in. They spent a ton of money. They want to make things right in Buffalo, but it didn't work out. Can you put your finger on exactly what's happened there in Buffalo? Wow, direct correlation, right, between what I just talked about in my Ranger days when we were there. Yeah, you can spend a lot of money, but you got to spend money uh, in the right spots. If you don't spend money in the right spots, it doesn't matter how much you, you, you spend. And, you know, to be brutally honest, the ownership has taken too much of a front seat in the hockey decision. You know, ownership is their, their owner. You want to give them enough cash to be able to be successful, but you got to stay in the background. You, you're, you're not a hockey person. I don't care how well um, the Pagulas are at fracking oil. They, they didn't grow up um, knowing hockey players or being able to make trades. And they've just brutally been too involved in the hockey decisions. That's why they're in the position that they are. It's not because they've spent the money that they have or, or, or they have crappy players or, or that the coaches. When you fire three coaches um, in a span of 18 months or I mean, get rid of three GMs, I mean, it, it can't all be their fault. You have to look above them. So, uh, until they step away and hire the right people in the right positions, uh, a person, director of, of, of hockey operations, a uh, general manager, uh, and I love Kevin Adams. He's a friend, and, and this hurts me to say, but he's never been in a front office. He ran the Harbor Center. You have two coaches now that play the game, but they've never done video or been behind an NHL bench now. And this is, this is something that we see over and over and over. I, I knew once Patty LaFontaine, who I'm close with, when he left, no reason and no explanation, I knew that there was, there was, there was something wrong there. So further to that, Jack Eichel is a star. Uh, at some point, uh, he's going to have had enough, and he's going to want to get moved. And that's going to be just a dagger, dagger in, in the – in the hearts of Buffalo Sabres fans. So they are tremendous fans. Uh, we see it in the ratings every year, even though if they aren't in the playoffs, which they haven't been in over a decade, uh, they are one of the highest uh, for a small city uh, in the ratings throughout the U.S. So they deserve a winner. They deserve at least a playoff team and not the team that they're getting every single night on the ice. 
I know you once co-hosted Sportsnet's The Enforcers. What was the best part about running a show like that? And and do you feel like the physicality of the NHL is truly an entertainment selling factor that's vital to the sport's success? Yeah, I, 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 I think the physicality is, you know, we have physicality in football. And listen, I don't want to see it go back to the 80s or 90s and the, the caveman mentality that, that the era that we played in uh, come back. I mean, I, I have a son that's 22 and he plays hockey. I don't want to see him running for his life every night being stopped and being attacked. But I, I do enjoy the odd fight. But there's physicality is always going to be a selling point for our league, especially in the playoffs. It's a war and attrition, and you need to be able to battle through adversity, injuries, and just the physicality of playing uh, the same team in a seven-game series. It's tough, damn tough. And it is a selling point. But, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to work at ESPN and, and work at TSN, work on the enforcers in Buffalo and, and Sirius XM. So, I'm fortunate to have had a, a lot of different people that I've worked with uh, that love the sport of hockey. And uh, just further to that, you know, we have hockey going back to ESPN, which is a, a great thing, a, a great thing. Anytime we can see that many eyeballs, um, even though it's never going to be uh, with, with the footballs and then the college footballs, uh, but now that they are a, a rights owner, um, it's going to be great for the game. And they did a great job when they did have it um, in my early stages of my career. So, Matthew, you've been paying attention to junior hockey in Canada. I've been kind of watching it from a distance. And what's become apparent to me is the Canadian hockey player in the NHL now is not the same guy as the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So what do you think is happening in Canada and how they're developing their players? What I'm trying to say is that tough Canadian player who was always stood out as being different on the ice, we're not seeing as much as that in the NHL, are they being developed differently in Canada? Yeah, and it's a trickle-down down effect from the NHL, right? You you start to learn and, you know, you, you, you look at what's it going to take for me to get to the next level. And here's what I tell people, and I, I train kids all the time, um, different ages. You, you have to be able to skate really well. Uh, you didn't have to necessarily do that uh, in the years before. You probably could get by with toughness and, and grit and, and play. Uh, now you have to be able to skate. And, and these kids are working on the, uh, on their skill level, skill sessions and, and stuff off the ice, on the ice. They have so many different coaches that it's, it's, it's all about skill. And we aren't, you know, the, the, the farmer from Saskatchewan, the kid, still has the accessibility to YouTube. And I think YouTube's been a big, big proponent in players' development, um, and I can speak for my son itself, we would watch Hockey Night in Canada, and we would watch, you know, the, the early game, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens, whoever they were playing. Then we'd see the late game, and we'd watch six hours of hockey every Saturday. And we'd watch the games during the week, whatever, but mainly we would watch games. The kids nowadays don't watch as many games. They, they really don't. They do watch YouTube, and I know this from, from the players that I trained, from, from my own son, and watching it. They're on the computer all day long watching highlights of Zabinajad, Panarin, uh, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, you, you name it, Connor McDavid, and they start to emulate. And we're like, wow, this guy can go, you know, it, it wasn't many years ago when we were looking at Merrick Malik going between his legs and thinking, wow, what a goal, unbelievable. Now, every four-year-old kid in Canada and the United States and Europe can do that. Uh, it's just, it, it's amazing because 
they get to watch and they get to rewind and, and rewatch and, and rewind and they just keep doing it and then they go to practice, they go to the outdoor rinks and, and they work on that. So the day of, of the farmer from Saskatchewan that becomes a player and is a tough guy, that's gone because that hockey is so far past us. Now it's about having skill. And I think, you know, there's a kid that I train in, in Vancouver, Justin Bailey. You know, he's 6'4", 220. Um, here's a kid that needs to maybe evolve a little bit of toughness in his game to trying to find his niche. Because there still is, like you said, a niche for a guy that can do that. We aren't just seeing them develop because they're watching the NHL and there's just not enough of it. So, Matthew, besides your teaching, developing young players, I know you're involved with Bet99 Sportsbook. What is that all about? You know, I've always been a gambler. I've always loved playing poker um, on the planes. I, I love going to casinos and playing poker. I think it's a real game of, you know, there's there's a little bit of luck, but um, like in anything, uh, betting-wise, uh, you need luck, but, but there's a lot of skill. And I, I've always loved betting sports, so I they, they saw me talking about bets that I was putting on a, a couple of years ago. I, you know, had a conversation with, with Doug Honiger, who runs uh, Bet99, and, and just asked if I was interested in doing some stuff with them. Um, so essentially what I do every day is I look at different lines and, and follow every sport. I love basketball. I love my footballs uh, and golf are, are my two passions. Um, love NFL, love the New York Jets. They've been the my favorite team since I've been 12 years old and absolutely love them. Uh, don't chase Sam Darnold, by the way, if anyone from the organization is oh. listening now. <laughs> <laughs> Had to make that clear. Had to make that clear. <laughs> Please trade the second pick. Let's go down to the draft and then and let's build uh, uh, with some other guys. So uh, I, I've always I've always loved betting. So now it's, it's changed from, you know, just doing it for fun as opposed to, giving my picks out and you know I, I i study all the leagues i study the numbers i love the numbers watching trends is the, is the big part of things and looking for value you know nhl predominantly is is pretty tough and if you're laying you know the difference between a money line and a puck line a money line is just winning the game outright a puck line which the rangers did a pretty good job of covering uh the goal and a half last night against philadelphia uh, but uh, that that's where I go and I just give my picks and hopefully drum up interest. You want them betting on your site because, um, you know, that's, there's a reason why they, they, they build casinos. But I've always said, never gamble the money you can't afford to lose. If it's going to affect your lifestyle in any way, do not bet. If it doesn't affect your lifestyle, you're, you're dealing from uh, betting money that, uh, that, you know, you have to be able to accept that if you bet $50, that it's going to be gone. Now, I can bet 50 or 100, whatever it is going to affect my lifestyle. I see some bets online that are, you know, a million dollars um, on a game. Like it's just, but the guy might be sitting with $2 billion and it's not going to affect him. So that's the main thing when I, when I talk to people about betting. Uh, do it because it's fun. It's enjoyable. It, it makes the game a little bit more interesting, but always, always gamble responsibly well see matt now you're talking my language here you're talking betting and the new york jets i host our jets podcast with the post i'm a jets fan completely disagree with you i think you have to trade sam darnold <laughs> ideally you get to sean watson matt i mean if you get to sean watson in here you'll do that in a heartbeat uh, i don't know if you want that pr mess and deshaun watson right now <laughs> now we're talking the same language my man if we can get to sean watson um yes pr mess right now but Deshaun Watson, but I, I I think we saw what was just turned down. Um, a three first rounders, I think a second rounder. I don't know if I want to pay that, uh, but certainly if we could get Deshaun Watson, 
I, I'm all in. He's one of the greats in the game. Yeah, I mean, we'll see about Darnold. I think maybe they give him one more year, and if he if he sucks, they'll be gone. We won't go into Jets. You hear that on the Jets podcast. But betting, I'm very curious about because to me as a better, and I, again, I'm the same. I don't bet like more than 50 bucks. Don't bet over my head. But hockey to me is so hard to bet on. Where football, I like to hammer the over, or you buy the point. It's two and a, it's three and a half. You buy the point, make it two and a half. How do you bet hockey? Because I feel like it's such a crapshoot every night. It might be the hardest sport to bet on. Yeah, you know, I've been concentrating a lot, a lot on the Canadian division because I live in Canada and I get to see a lot of the games really up close and personal. And it's, you know, it's it's about trends. Hockey is difficult. And especially like the puck line, like I said, if you're the favorite, you win by one and a half. That's where you get your value. A lot of times, like Tampa Bay is playing Detroit. Well, you gotta let's just say the numbers. Uh, you're you're betting in hundred dollar increments for people out there to make it easy. You might have to bet three hundred and thirty dollars to win a hundred dollars. Well, it's the NHL. Detroit can beat Tampa. Now, how many times out of ten are they gonna beat them? Probably two. Um, and that's where you start to see why the number is so high. So you start to lean towards the puck line. Puck line is roughly. Right now, he is winning by one and a half. That have to win by one and a half. The favorites only cover like 30% of the time. So, you know, it's really hard to judge a game, even though when you start the bet, you the Rangers are playing Philadelphia. You say, okay, I, I think the Rangers could, could win an, an empty net goal. Well, we don't see enough of those empty net goals. It, it's really crazy. So uh, underdogs taking the one and a half is, is kind of where it's been, but then you have to lay odds again, and that's where, where it becomes – I think the the easiest way is under overs. Um, I think it's the easiest way in any any sport. To tell you the truth, college football. I like laying a lot of the points, uh, being the favorite because they a lot of times they cover because they do run up uh, scores. NFL, you have a lot of backdoor covers because it's not it's just about the win. That's all all that matters. But as for hockey, you know, you look at the Boston Bruins, you look at the New York Islanders, uh, you look at Anaheim. Those are all under teams. Predominantly, those teams play to the under they they win three to one they lose three nothing they 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 win four to one and it's it just it's it, they play to the under uh, a lot i think bruins are seven of the last games they, they played to the under so you look for those uh types of trends and then the the x factor in in hockey more than any other sport is a goaltender you got a good goaltender the the winnipeg Jets are a really good uh, team that covers the spread a lot and they get value for some reason they they aren't getting respected in this north division even though you know they just beat Toronto a couple times so it's looking for value um, and looking for trends to tell you the truth the NHL is going to have to figure out their injury information policy before betting in hockey can become even remotely something interesting I think but thank you so much for your time and we hope to have you back on again sometime in the future well keep up the awesome work thanks for having me on and uh for all the Ranger fans out there, it's an unbelievable place uh, to play in, in front of some of the best fans in the world. Sayonara to episode 48, the Brendan Lemieux edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and the new guy, Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Do us a huge favor and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy and it's free. For number 10, Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We are back in your eardrums next Thursday. Thanks for all your support this season. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.